Welcome to Federal Insights, sponsored by Akamai. Here's today's moderator, Tom Tamman. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Joe Henry. He's Senior Solutions Architect at Akamai. Joe, good to have you with us. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. And our topic today is zero trust, something that agencies here in 2024 are continuing to pursue after several years of, of this being the policy of the land, and not just policy, but good practice. And in, in many ways, you know, there's a policy side to zero trust and a quality side, but really getting there, I think, depends on a lot of technical detail and a lot of attention to things deep in the network and its behavior. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And let's start with what you call the Akamai ZT or zero trust journey approach. Mm -hmm. What is that and how does it apply in a federal context? So Akamai as a company, we're known as a CDN throughout the um, internet. And as Akamai has been maturing, we're just not a CDN anymore. We're a security company. So we've built this huge edge platform. And we decided that through acquisitions and through uh, mergers, we saw that the, the need for something a little more stringent to get access to assets within the network was needed. So we purchased a few companies. We started our zero trust network access. And a little bit before the pandemic happened and everybody was forced to work remotely, we implemented that on our systems. So within Akamai, holistically, globally, we have the same access or the same way to access all corporate assets either inside the Akamai network or outside the network, Akamai network. And that ease of transition of moving between corporate and remote is sometimes a little difficult because typically if you're on the corporate network, you just log in, you have access to email, no problem. You're working from home, you might have to log into a VPN, you might have to use a VDI to access certain assets. With our zero trust network access solution, if the same way we access assets within the corporation is the same way we access it out. So we create this essential hotspot for Akamai employees, and then it does it's seamless between the two. So we implemented that right before the pandemic, and then when the pandemic hit and all of our um, our, all of our employees were forced to work from home, it was very seamless for us. There was a few hiccups here and there, obviously because if you're a company of 10,000 people, technology goes bad, software pushes don't happen, but for the most part, it was a very seamless transition for us. Right, so in many ways, you did away finally with what's been a long-standing methodology involving almost the legacy of the local area network. Yes. That was a difference between, and if you were outside the local area network, Many years ago, it was very difficult to get in. The VPN idea kind of moved it closer. It sounds like what you've done is dispense with the perimeter notion altogether and yep. just go with the reality that let's not have a perimeter. Everybody's the same need and the same equality of access, regardless of where they are, with the zero trust in place. Yeah, um, one caveat I would put to that is not everyone has the same needs. So the mm -hmm. authentication piece of it was essential for us as well. So if I'm sitting on the local network and I want to start, if I have access to a certain database, I can move across the land on that. But with the proxy aware zero trust network access that Akamai has in place, myself, Joe Henry, being a solutions engineer, I only have access to certain assets within the network. Engineering has a completely different access. And I don't even see any of those assets that engineering would see. 
So there's still a role-based and mm -hmm. identity-based control of who can see what. Absolutely, yes. Okay, but within that context, people have the same, I guess, challenge and response that they would whether they're in Singapore or they're inside corporate headquarters. Absolutely, yes. So it feels the same. Yes. Yeah, so that answers in some sense or some degree the question people have is how do we have zero trust without driving people crazy with the yeah. need to constantly re-authenticate, re-enter codes and all the rest of it. Yeah, the, the single sign-on solution that we've enabled for zero trust was essentially key for everything. It's the same um, network credentials that you just mentioned. Akamai has their own MFA provider, it's FIDO2. Uh, it's essentially a software token on my phone that comes to me. It pushes and says, hey, do you want access to this? I say allow, and then I'm logged in and authenticated. Now, if I go to a separate machine or a separate system, depending on how our SSO is enabled for particular applications, you could either take that same credentials and use it for authenticating me to, let's say, my email, um, my email server. Or if I have a policy there, it could re, or it can re-challenge me to say, "Hey, I see that you're logged into your local portal on your web on your web browser. When you're going to go to your email, let's try to challenge you for something else." So nobody gets by Active Directory. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what did it take to put all of this in place? It sounds simple to describe once it's done, but it sounds like a lot of painstaking architecture. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was a lot of. Um, because once you're going from just everybody has access to everything and people can touch everything, you don't really necessarily know who's touching what based off of their roles, essentially. So when it was put into place, there was a couple of like shadow IT operations, some servers that were doing something that nobody really knew about that some guys had just set up. Once the um, network access was um, locked down and it wasn't more where you're located more of who you are, those systems were having to get re-authenticated or put into the overall authentication mechanism so that the, we can see or Akamai could see that, hey, Joe needs to access this particular service for this role, and why do you need access to that? And then so we were able to granular, granularly put in those authentications, but bulk-wise it was it was easier, but then obviously there's pain for certain offshoots. But you came at it with kind of a good, solid base in widespread computing. I mean, that content delivery network you mentioned, the legacy CDN, mm -hmm. nowadays everybody wants edge computing. So yes. in effect, you've brought that forward, having had experience in how to access edge computing when it wasn't called that. Yeah, in many exactly. Ways. So we did start off, Akamai did start off with uh, edge computing on the CDN a, a decade plus ago. We were able to um, put little Java executables on the CDN, but it didn't really take off. What we see now is a movement back towards that. So service, serverless computing. And then our edge platform is built to where we are providing serverless computing on the edge platform. And then during that journey, as we started providing those for customers, we realized that, hey, Akamai itself, we don't really have real compute capabilities. So we looked to uh, purchase a Linode for that compute capabilities. And we're doing the same thing with computing that we did with essentially content delivery network, is we're making it more a dispersed computing platform 
so that the compute can happen closer to the end users as possible. Now, that's not necessarily going into the big cloud service providers or the big data centers and doing massive compute. We're looking at specific, or specific opportunities to take that closer to the end user and then also being able to ingest as well as close to those end users as well. All right, so that is a hint to what your plans are for 2024 now that you've got to this point at the end of last year. Yeah, absolutely. We've had two successful deployments of our edge compute within the last part of 2023. So we spent the majority of 2023 building out the edge compute platform, putting it into the Akamai backbone, and being able to replicate between all of the edge compute um, entities. So we released um, one product called Traffic Peak, which will take essentially logs from anywhere in the world. It'll be a local, so you're not paying for that transport of the logs from like the East Coast to the West Coast. It'll absorb it locally to that compute center that's closest to where the logs are coming from. It'll be able to ingest those logs and then present real-time analytics for our end users. So we see that as a pretty exciting opportunity of what Akamai is presenting to customers today. Right, so only the results of the analysis, which is a smaller relative piece of data, if you will, goes across maybe the continent to that end user, but the logs, the large volume, which is expensive and slow, there can be still latency. That stays where it started. Yeah, exactly. And then there's a couple of things that we've added into that to where the, the idea of Akamai is to get things as close to those end users as possible. So we have the processing of those logs. It's not process intensive anymore. We're doing it on serverless now. So the logs are sent to, let's say, a couple of instances within the East Coast and the West Coast. And then that view of those logs are done through just a web browser. But the analytics part of it, we're able to compress the logs a lot hard, or a lot um, smaller than um, most um, object stores today. Mm -hmm. And then with our backbone, we're able to transport that data back and forth so that we can aggregate all of that data into one view, into one, one, to one real-time analysis view for our customers. Yeah, so it's almost the opposite of cloud computing in some sense. Yeah. Well, I want to say opposite. Because well, it's cloud come down computing. to earth. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's fog computing. We could call it's, it. It's not hyperscaler size, right? It's not hyperscaler size. All right, but that's that's what you're going to build out then as the yeah. year goes ahead. Yeah, that's where we're looking at is expanding our compute edge, and then the capabilities within our compute edge. And we're seeing a lot of other companies that are building on that as well. That are seeing that hey, we do have we do have this need for a huge uh, central processing units, right? But for some of the stuff, like let's say it's more uh, customizable. Like if you're going to a commerce site and they're like, hey Tom, welcome back. Here's what we'd like to show you today. And then all the other stuff, the processing, the credit cards, all of that stuff takes a little bit more resourcing power. But that initial connection between you and that website, that the faster we can get that, the better off our e-commerce customers are. And then it's going off into other um, sectors and verticals as well. Okay, well, I've got more detailed questions for you, but first we're going to take a short break. My guest is Joe Henry, Senior Solutions Engineer at Akamai. I'm Federal Drive host Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights, sponsored by Akamai here on Federal News Network. 
Wheelchairs for Warriors serves those who served us. We provide custom-fit wheelchairs for veterans and first responders injured in the line of duty. When they are denied the services they deserve, we stand in the gap. To join the mission and support America's heroes, you can visit our website at wheelchairsforwarriors.org. We are a 501c3 organization and part of the combined federal campaign. Visit wheelchairsforwarriors.org. Welcome back to Federal Insights, sponsored by Akamai here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Joe Henry, Senior Solutions Engineer at Akamai. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And our topic today is Zero Trust, and we've been talking about your own journey as a company towards Zero Trust, and then the security Zero Trust product that you can offer clients. And uh, if you look at the CISA, the uh, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has a zero trust kind of reference, if you will, in architecture. And one of the pillars of it is how to get to an optimal network. And their way is micro-segmentation. You hear this word a lot. Uh, and from your perspective, Joe, what is it? And then let's talk about how it relates to zero trust. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. Thanks. So micro-segmentation, if you look at the broad definition of it is essentially taking every piece of what the server will talk to and making sure you're micro-segmenting that into what it can talk to and to where it can talk from. So if we're looking at the CISA Zero Trust Security Model uh, documentation, in that optimal range of the network pillar, they're calling out micro-segmentation. And there's a few companies that can do that today. And the idea with that is before with network segmentation, and I was, before I started working at Akamai Technologies, I was a network engineer for 17 years on DOD and federal contracts. And my biggest problem was, was if you start to segment your network through a firewall or through a router or however you want to segment your network, there's always the layer two access. So your databases are essentially could talk to your other databases. And if you had an application server that had to talk at certain speeds to your databases, you would essentially put those in the same VLAN. And that layer two access on the network plane would give them essentially back-to-back -back conversations. And it wasn't until they would go one step higher and they mm -hmm. go through the firewall, and that's where you could put your policies. So micro-segmentation looks at look, or moving that control over to the server, over into the process. So when we're talking about micro-segmentation, we're loading a endpoint into the servers themselves, and we're, show, or we're, ask, or we're permitting what that server can talk to on what port and what process. So mm -hmm. we can lock it down to, let's say, if you have, for some reason, two SSH clients or processes on a Linux server, and you only want this particular process mm -hmm. to talk to this particular process on this server through SSH, we'll lock down that process into that server. And the other benefit with micro- And that is a microscopic segment, if you will. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's yeah. the point of the micro, yeah, the micro-segmentation to where you can like go right down into the processor and permit or deny what you want. And is that a lot to administer? Because there could be millions of micro-segments. It could, to, if you're looking at it holistically and through a network, um, a network lens through like let's say firewalls and constantly looking at what's going through your firewalls, looking at logs, what needs access to what, what's being denied. 
But with, we're, if we're looking at Akamai's micro-segmentation, the first thing we provide our customers is a map. Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you're installing these endpoints onto the systems themselves, we're mapping out the network for our customers. We're showing them what network flows are going between what servers. We're, look, we're using machine learning to put in policies for those servers as well. So let's say we put together a couple of Windows machines and then we have an Active Directory server and that's really chatty. Mm -hmm. So we have a policy, a pre-built policy, to where we can enable that and say, hey, this is my Active Directory machine. These are all my Windows machines. They should be able to talk to that. So automatically in the network segmentation mm -hmm. policy, they're allowed to talk to that Active Directory server. And then we'll start mapping all those out. We give our customers a view of what the networks look like. And this is not just local networks. This could be within your cloud service providers, within your data centers, on-prem, wherever your assets are located we can put the micro-segmentation into, and then we can give you a holistic map of all of that. All right, then how does that add up to zero trust capability? How does that enable zero trust? It's actually showing you that, you, or you're permitting these actual servers or these processes to access specific assets only. And they're not able to, let's say, if you're within a database server itself, and you're only allowing database calls to a particular application server, we're not going to let that go SSH over to another database server. We're not going to let it ping another database server if we want to disallow ping. So anything that we want to put on this database server to access throughout the network or throughout the internet, we allow it. So it's a deny by default, allow by uh, policy. And what does it take to administer something like this? Are there tools to automate that? Because mm -hmm. how could anyone sit there and Oh yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's a few things. We do have a um, API that we have some customers that want to use only the API completely, holistically. Mm -hmm. And then we have a visualization mapping to where we'll see or we'll show our customers that, hey, this is, this is the standard business of what your systems are doing. If there's any anomalies or any recommendations, we're having our machine learning algorithms behind the scenes start to pump these out for our customers. So let's say for the case of Log4j, our customers came over to us and said, we need to find out every server that's affected by uh, the Log4j vulnerability. Through our, um, our visualization tool, we just wrote a simple SQL query script, looked for everything that went to Log4j. It did an analysis of that, mm -hmm. reported back to us. And then depending on what the server's function was, we could just create a ring fence around that server to lock it down and say, hey, nothing outside of this server should ever be requesting this. Or if it was, a or it was an operational necessity, we could allow it only to that particular instance and then make sure that we're monitoring everything else besides that or outside of that. Yeah, because we're living in a world of application programming interfaces as digital services take hold and everything is connected to everything in some sense. Mm -hmm. and constructed on the fly, depending on what it is that the ultimate user is demanding of a system. You have these kind of flexible, always changing architectures. Uh, API security, that's an important part then of the whole zero trust mm -hmm. journey. Yep. So Akamai, we're taking APIs really seriously. And we started this for about um, five or so years ago to where on the content delivery network, the security 
Akamai Edge platform, we're seeing about 85% of just the hits are APIs. And that's a huge vulnerability. So for our web application firewall, we created an API discovery tool. So any of our customers' traffic that's traversing through our network, we're discovering if it's an API. And if it is an API, we're giving our customers the visibility of what the API calls are. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you're looking at what a web application firewall does, it's a negative security model. So it's looking for specific things to try to go to the web servers with vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. With the API discovery tool, we're able to upload API definitions into the firewall and then create a positive security model. So where we're saying that this particular API endpoint is only allowed this method with this response code, right? And then so now anything else that goes outside of that method, we're going to go ahead and deny on the web application firewall. The, the newest technology that Akamai has put together is what we call API security as a product name. It's very, uh, you know, on the nose, I guess. <laughs> and Like washing machine. You yeah, know, you kind of exactly. know what it does, right? Exactly. So as that API security, or as the API call is going through, the uh, web application firewall, through your API gateway, and then through your local firewall. What it does inside the network, that's a huge vulnerability as well. Mm -hmm. So you could um, put in a correct API call going to that endpoint, and then try to do something nefarious within the network itself. So our new technology API security is we're taking all of that API traffic not only from Akamai's uh, connector going through Akamai's um, platform, but also through all the other vendors as well. So mm -hmm. we have a connector for F5, for Kong API Gateway. And then we're looking at that API data. We're anonymizing that, sending it up to our data lake, and then using machine learning to find any possible vulnerabilities within the API calls. Right, so that seems to get at the issue of malware that is injected into a network and may dwell for a while, but then make calls to applications and so forth. But it, it's not part of the scheme to mm -hmm. begin with, so it can sit there, but it can't do anything. Yeah. So that's, that's a good, um, I guess, segue to the beginning question of Akamai's journey into zero trust. As a company, as we see these things coming through, the way we're building out our technologies is to secure certain parts that we see that's vulnerable, that fits within our wheelhouse, right? So there's certain things that Akamai won't be doing. There's certain things that are way outside of what we could do. But we have a certain path for zero trust enabled products within our portfolio. So we're not going to make an uh, organization zero trust. We, no company can really do that, right? There's products and pieces that could be put together. And just like Akamai, we have different vendors. We're using different software technologies to help us within that zero trust as well. All right, well, thank you for a great discussion, some really good detail. I think people will have take-home pay from this. We've been speaking with Joe Henry. He's Senior Solutions Engineer at Akamai. I'm Federal Drive host Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Akamai. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, sponsored by Akamai on Federal News Network.